Well, good morning. I want to welcome everyone to Friend Day here at Bachelor Creek. Also, want to welcome all of our elementary age kids who are in service with us today. Now, I know that each generation uh, kind of had their own uh, music element that they listened to music to. Some of you are a record generation. Some of you are eight-track generation. Some are CD. Currently, it's MP3s, right? But my generation was the cassette tape generation. Anybody in here from the cassette tape generation? Yeah, quite a few of us, right? And if you're from the cassette tape generation, by the way, kids, this is a cassette tape, just in case some of you have never seen one of these before. This is how we used to play music. This was our version of an MP3, right? But if you had a cassette player and cassette tapes, then chances are, at some point, you probably made a mix tape. Now, what a mixtape was, was just a compilation of all your favorite songs that you just wanted to get onto one tape. And sometimes it could take the better part of a day to make a mixtape, right? Because you had to sit right next to your radio with the cassette in, ready for Casey Kasem to count down the top 100, right? And you better have your fingers on the button when he gets to your song or you missed out. Now, we might have made mixtapes maybe for our boyfriends or our girlfriends because it was a compilation of your songs, right? The songs that made you think of one another, the songs you spent time to one another with. Uh, in our case, for Alicia and I, it would have been a little bit of Millie Vanilli mixed in with uh, maybe a little bit of the Bangles and maybe a little Paul Abdul, all right? Or maybe you made a mixtape for you and your friends, right? So you'd look cool as you're cruising down Cass Street on a Friday night, right? Maybe a little bit of Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer, anybody? All right, so kind of showing my age here, all right? But the worst possible thing that could happen is you've got your mixtape in the cassette player, and you're singing along, and it's playing along, and all of a sudden you hear, because <laughs> you know what that meant, kids? Your cassette player just ate your music is what it did. All right, because this inside here, this is like little tape in here. That's why we call it cassette tape, because see that stuff right there? That's what your music is on, all right? And sometimes that would get caught in your stereo, and you would pull it out, and this stuff would just start coming out like that. But never fear, because if you search around your car, all you had to find is one thing, a pencil, right? Kids, let me tell you something. You've been told these were created to write with. That's really their secondary use. A pencil was really created to put inside your tape so that you could wind your tape up and you could get back to listening to music, right? Because that's the worst thing that could happen is that your music would get eaten. And if it got eaten too bad, sometimes your tape would be all crinkled and wrinkled and it would just be ruined. So here's what you had to do. You had to get some scissors and you had to cut out the bad piece of tape, right? And you had to be like a neurosurgeon doing this because it was so precise. You cut out the bad piece, you take the other two ends, put them together with a piece of tape, and we called that splicing it together. Now today, we are starting a series called Friendship Mixtape. We are talking about an old school topic, so we're going to get some old school advice about friendship. And here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking a little bit of Psalms and a little bit of Proverbs and a little bit of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to splice a little bit from each of these books together to make the perfect friendship mix. 
Now, these books collectively are called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And these books have a lot of wisdom to share about the kind of friends we need to have in life and the kind of friend that we need to be to somebody else. And if I had to summarize the Bible's advice when it comes to friendship, here's what I think it would summarize as this key phrase. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Now, we're going to start off today in the book of Psalms. And we're going to see from the very beginning chapter, chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters in all the book of Psalms, we're going to see that all the rest of the Psalms kind of get set up from this one chapter, this great advice that's given to us in chapter 1. Because, you know, even though the Psalms are a book of worship and they're a, a, a book of, like, literature, it's kind of like literary worship, right? It wasn't written by someone who had a literature degree. It wasn't written even by a worship leader. The book of Psalms, do you know who it was written by? It was written by a warrior king. This is a king who was battle-hardened, had battle scars, had led hundreds of thousand people into battle. And that even though this man could sometimes have a tough exterior, he had a tender heart toward God. And he gives us some wisdom in the very beginning words of this book about the kind of friends they're going to either bring us up or they're going to bring us down. Listen to what he says in Psalm 1-1, okay? Listen attentively here. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. Now, did you notice the progression there, okay? Then when it comes to the kind of friends that you have, you can be walking, all right, with some people who are are wicked. They're not so good. They don't have so good intents. And when you're walking with them, you just kind of get this picture that you're just kind of listening to them. But then we stop walking, and we actually stand, and we ponder more of what they're saying, and we're actually being influenced by them. And after listening to them and being influenced by them, it's just a matter of time until we're sitting with them in the party scene, and we have completely bought into the kind of things that they are trying to convince us of. So let's talk about this progression, okay? The reason why some friends bring us down is because they give us bad advice. And the psalmist says, if you want the blessed life, the life that's God-honoring, the life that's happy, joyful, a life that's prosperous and fruitful, listen, he says, don't take advice, don't take counsel from the wicked. And some of you immediately this morning, he's like, I'm off the hook, because I don't have any friends who are wicked. I don't run around with mass murderers, terrorists, kidnappers, or any of the such. I'm good. But listen to me, folks. When he talks about here the wicked, he's not talking about those people who are just greatly perverse. Here's what he's doing. He's contrasting worldly advice with godly advice. And you don't have to go very far or listen to too many people in this world before you will hear worldly advice. What's worldly advice sound like? Here's just a snippet of it, okay? Go ahead and cheat. Just don't get caught. Do whatever you want sexually, just be safe. And if things turn out not so safe, uh, we got doctors who can take care of that. 
drink and get drunk as much as you want. Just don't drive. Be a responsible drunk, right? And don't get married. Live together. Marriage is broken. Marriage doesn't work. Just live together. Kick the tires around a little bit. See how it goes for you. And whatever you do, you be in control of your own life. You do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good, because there's no such thing as absolute truth. There is no law that should govern the way you think or the things that you do. And make sure you always look out for number one. And don't get mad with people. Get what? Get even. Now, I'll admit, there is something about that, the worldly advice, that kind of appeals to the carnal part of all of us, right? That whole idea that if it just feels good, just do it. If you want to tell somebody something, tell them. Let them have both barrels. And look out for number one, because you're the one that matters, and you live life by your own rules. And here's what David is saying. He's saying there are going to be people in your life, very well-meaning people, people who might even claim to love you, and they're going to try to influence you, and they're going to try to give you this kind of advice, but it is not going to take you down that path that God desires for your life. So with whatever advice you take, from whatever source it comes, it's almost like you have to have this filter that you run everything through, that before you let it go from here to here, you have to run it through this filter and say, does this sound like their advice? Is this worldly advice, or is this godly advice? Is this going to get me in a better position with God? Is this going to lead to the blessed life? Those people, those men and women that I respect and I look up to, if they were told this same thing, would they follow this advice? So we have to really, really be careful about who we're listening to and the influences that we're allowing to come into our life. Because here's the problem with advice. It leads to a second reason why friends can sometimes bring us down. Because bad advice leads to bad behavior, right? First of all, you're just walking in bad counsel. The next thing you know, you're standing in the way of sinners. It's just the inevitable next step. I get some bad advice, it's going to lead to some very bad behaviors. I love what Proverbs 14, 12 says. It's a warning to all of us to really listen to the source of our advice. Here's what it says. There is a way that appears to be right. It's all that worldly advice that's chiming all around us, the way that we see so many people living their lives by. There's a way that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. It's those people, those influences, those friends in your life who say to you, here's what you need to do. You need to go for it. Take a risk. Push it to the edge. Just pull the trigger, man. Do it. And so you pull the trigger. What you don't realize, though, is that when you pulled the trigger, you were looking down the end of a barrel, right? It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to not good things. Here's how Jesus said it. He warned us all about watching out for the influence of the world. He says here in Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. In other words, Jesus is saying there's a whole bunch of people getting a whole bunch of bad advice, making a whole bunch of bad decisions, and they have a destination, not with the blessed life, but a destination with destruction. 
And then one of my favorites, maybe your mother or grandmother quoted this to you growing up, 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. How many of you were told that in your growing up years? How many of you have a story that you can think of in your own mind about your life or your siblings or somebody you knew where you saw this just play out, right? I remember one time in high school, I kept my nose pretty clean in high school. I didn't get into a whole lot of trouble. My parents could attest to that. One night, I went out with a friend of mine, somebody I didn't know real well. He was an acquaintance, and I was hoping to get him to know better. And so uh, somehow, some way, we ended up at the Marion Mall in JCPenney, all right? Because that's what guys do on a night out. They go to JCPenney, I guess. So we're walking through JCPenney, and all of a sudden, he just kind of says to me under his breath, hey, keep a lookout for me. And I knew what that was code word for. I'd never been around somebody that had told me that before, but I knew exactly what he was thinking. He was going to steal something, right? And I just remember this sense of panic just kind of overtaking me, all right? And I just said to him kind of loud, I said, what? You know, kind of hoping to draw some attention there to put eyes on us and not take him off. And I remember just making a beeline right for the exit. He could do whatever he wanted to do, but I was going to head out of there because my dad had always told me, that if you get caught shoplifting with somebody who's shoplifting, even though you didn't take anything, but you're with somebody who does, you're both going to get in trouble. You're both going to get arrested for that. And my dad knew that because he was the head of loss prevention for another major retailer just a few stores down. So I knew this lesson very well, and I knew how that would play out. So I just determined to make a beeline for the exit, and after that night, I told myself, no longer am I going to hang around this guy because he learned that from somebody else and now he's trying to influence me to do that and make me one of his disciples. So listen, this psalm comes from a loving father to his children who says, before I write anything else, before I pen anything else, else I've got to tell you where it all starts. The trajectory of your life, where you're going to end up, good, bad, the decisions you make, all are going to be influenced about the type of people that you choose to influence you. Your friends, your acquaintances, they are going to set you on a path. And that's where it all starts. And God says as well in this psalm, you've seen how the one side works, the destination of those people who are wicked. We're listening to their advice, will take you. Let me show you the opposite, how that's true. That if you listen to good advice, good influence, what it's going to look like in your life. So he continues. And he's talking about the blessed person here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He says, if you listen to good advice, if you surround yourself with godly influence, if you're drawing and feeding from my word, if you're walking with people who are in my word, you're going to be like this tree, like a tree that's planted by a river, and the roots go down deep, and it's lush, and it's healthy, and it's strong, and it's going to produce the appropriate fruit it was created to produce. That's what's going to typify your life. 
There's going to be seasons of dryness. There's going to be seasons of barrenness. But as long as you are planted and rooted in the streams of living water from God's word, he says, you're going to be safe, you're going to be secure, and you are going to be fruitful. And I want you to see the key here. Did you notice the key here? But he meditates on the word of God day and night. Here's what I think part of our problem boils down to. We read God's word. Sometimes we act like we're in a sprint to get through as much as we can, but we don't take the time to what? Meditate. You ever have somebody say something to you? They'll they'll say something kind of profound, and then they'll say the words, chew on that for a while. What they mean is process that. Ruminate on that for a while. Let that just kind of saturate your mind for a bit. It's kind of like a cow, right? We've all seen cows out in the field, and they got their cud that they're chewing. And you know what they do eventually? They swallow that down. And then a few minutes later, they regurgitate it, and it comes right back up, right? Because there's more nutrition to gain. There's more sweetness to glean from it. And so they just start chewing that cud. What's that? That's the kind of the picture of meditating. You let it go down, and then you kind of bring it back up later on, and you try to get some more out of it. You don't just read it. You regurgitate it, and you meditate on it. And you let that have the life and the wisdom that it was intended to have in your life. Now, look what he says in verse 4. He goes back. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So notice the comparison here. The righteous, those who are walking with godly people, getting godly influence, drawing from God's word. Those are people who are likened to a tree, strong, rooted, sturdy, immovable, being fed, nourished. And then he compares wicked to something just the opposite chaff no greater opposite is there to a strong vibrant tree than to a little piece of chaff you know what chaff is you know what chaff symbolizes those people who listen to worldly advice and say that's how I'm going to live that's how I'm going to conduct myself no holds barred if it feels good do it just kind of take my cues from the world around me. They are like chaff. You know what chaff is? This is kind of a farming illustration that the psalmist points us to here. Back in their day and time, all right, when they harvested wheat, all right, each stalk of wheat would have a head of grain, all right, and there were several kernels of grain on there, but each kernel was surrounded by this little husk that we would call chaff. Kind of like that little piece of popcorn, that little brown translucent piece that gets stuck in your teeth after you eat popcorn, you know, that doesn't really have any flavor, you just kind of cause annoyances. That's kind of like what the chaff was like, this little husk around a kernel of wheat. So they would harvest the wheat, and then they would take the heads of wheat, and they would put it on a blanket, and they would roll some stones around it to kind of get the the kernels of wheat out of the head and the chaff off of the, the head of the kernel. And then they had on this blanket, they would get people on each corner, four corners, and they would just kind of whip up that blanket. And you had to make sure you were in a place where there was a good breeze blowing through. 
Because just the smallest of breeze, the smallest movement of wind, as soon as that chaff got up in the air, it was blown away. Because there wasn't any weight to it. There wasn't any substance to it. But the kernel of wheat was, was big enough, it had enough substance, where it would just come right back down onto the blanket. It would not blow away. But the chaff, just the smallest of wind, it was gone. And here's what the psalmist is saying. If you're being influenced by the ungodly, if you're taking your cues from the world around you instead of God's word, your life is going to have absolutely zero substance. You know what they used chaff for? Nothing. Because it wasn't good for anything. You couldn't walk on it because it'd cut your feet. You couldn't eat it because it didn't have any nutritional value. And this is a day and time in history, friends, when they found a use for everything. There wasn't any use for chaff. The only use was let the wind take it away because it's garbage. And the psalmist is telling us here, when you listen to that kind of influence and you're not basing your life on, on God's word or godly ways, your life is not going to be good for anything in the kingdom of God. It'll just blow away and be quickly forgotten. So how do we apply this now? I think there's a couple of questions we've got to ask ourselves. The first question we have to ask ourselves is this. Who do I get my advice from? Who are those people in my life I'm sharing my struggles with? And some of you men might say, oh, that's easy, I don't share with anybody, right? And that's part of the problem. Because who it is that we share our struggles with, who it is we're getting advice from, you know, when we're going through hard times or maybe we're tempted to make bad choices, those people carry great, great weight into our lives. And again, they can influence where we ultimately go. So we've got to be really, really careful about those people who we let into the most intimate parts of our life. When we lay our heart open and say, this is who I am, this is where I struggle, those people are going to be the ones that speak into that. So we need to make sure that is a very short, trusted list. Another question we need to ask, not just who am I getting advice from, but the question of who do I look for approval of the choices I make in my life. When it comes to your marriage, how you're treating your spouse, how you're raising your kids, when it comes to the decisions you make about how you run your business or any of these critical decisions that we have to make day after day after day in life, who is it you are looking to to give approval, to applaud, to nod the head and say, that's the way to do it? Whose pat on the back are you looking for? Because here's what I know, and you know it too. If you don't believe me, just go to social media. You can make any decision in this world that you want to make, and you will find somewhere, some way, some people who will applaud anything you do. Am I wrong? I don't care how wild, I don't care how wicked, I don't care how extreme. You will find some group of people in the world say, all right, keep doing that, that's great. What you need... What I need is a friend who challenges me, a friend who pushes back, a friend who won't let me off the hook, and a friend who will make me grow because they're up here. I was trying to think of a way to, to bring this point home to you, and then I thought about an episode of a TV show that I've watched in the past quite a bit. 
It's from an episode of Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld people in here? Yeah, all right. Well, there's an episode where Kramer is trying to instill confidence in Elaine. Elaine's been now put in charge of her company. She doesn't think that she can do it. She's lacking confidence. So Kramer says, listen, I felt the same way you did when I started karate. Nobody believed in me. I didn't believe in myself, but I got in touch with my inner confidence, and then I became class champion. But I want you to watch why he became class champion. Some of you might remember. Go ahead and play that for us. Let me tell you a story. When I first studied karate, karate, yeah, karate, I had no support. Not from him, not from Newman, no. First time I sparred with an opponent, I was terrified. My legs, they were like noodles. <laughs> then I looked inside and I found my tatra. Tatra? Yeah, your spirit, your uh, being, that part of you that says, yes, I can. Sammy Davis had it. So I listened to my katra. Now, what? I'm dominating the dojo. I'm class champion. Well, you know, I, I have watched Peterman run the company. Sure you have. I know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Pair of pants, a stupid story, a huge markup. I can do that. You follow your katra and you can do anything. <laughs> now, get out of here. Okay. Kid is going to be all right. No, she's not. Come on, Kramer. Hey there. Come on. Comes down in the car. Okay, Joy. You guys both have class at the same time? Uh, we're in the same class. <laughs> what do you mean you're in the same class? He almost beat me. <laughs> Kramer, you're fighting children? We're all at the same skill level, Jerry. He's nine years old. You don't need karate. You could just wring his neck. I got caught. Prepare for Kumite? Yes, Sensei. Fight this. Hajime, begin! You understand why Kramer was class champion? Because there was nobody bigger, there was nobody better than him in the class to really push him and challenge him, right? And I think that inside of him, he kind of liked fighting kids because they made him seem better than he actually was, and it made him feel pretty good about himself, right? And I think that's part of our problem. That when it comes to our struggles, when it comes to our temptations, when it comes to our failures, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our parenting, do you know whose approval we're seeking out, whose advice we're seeking out a lot of times? People who are at the same level or lower than us in these things. Because I can share these things with them, and there's not the guilt, there's not the shame sharing them with them because they're going through the same thing. Theirs might even be worse than mine, right? I don't have a problem talking about my money problems to somebody who's just committed or filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> I shouldn't feel much guilt or shame talking to somebody like that. Or if I have a drinking problem, I don't feel much guilt or shame talking to an alcoholic about it, right? Because they're there. But if we would just have the courage to seek out those men 
and those women in our lives who are at a much higher level in their walk with Jesus than we are. And we can go to them and we can say, man, I'm embarrassed to tell you this and it, it makes me feel shameful to even admit this, but here it is. And if you have any words of wisdom about how I can go from here up to there, I'm all ears. Please tell me. And you know what that person will tell you? That person more than likely will say this, because here's what I know. Nobody gets to hear overnight, do they? And that man or that woman you talk to will say, well, let me tell you where I was 20 years ago. Let me tell you the condition of my marriage. Let me tell you the areas where I struggled. Let me tell you my temptations when I was your age. And if we have the courage, men and women, to seek out those kinds of people, not people who are here with me, not people who are lower than me, that are like spiritual 10-year-olds, and they're just going to tell me what I want to hear, and they're going to approve of the things that I do. But if we have the courage to seek out people who are a tier or two above, we're going to be just like that tree planted by the streams of living water. There's a great example of this, a textbook example in Scripture I want to share with you before we dismiss. It involves one of Israel's kings. Now, we know some of the more popular kings. We talked about King David, who wrote Psalm 1. Then there was King David's son, Solomon, who expanded Israel's territories larger and broader than any king in Israel's history. He built this vast empire in Israel. But then there was King Solomon's son. You know what his name was? Most people can't name him because he's not as popular. His name's Rehoboam. And Solomon, when he built his empire, did so on a lot of forced labor. It was a very hard thing to live under Solomon's kingdom because he built his kingdom on the backs of people. So when his son Rehoboam became king, the people had one request of Rehoboam. This was their only request. I want you to listen to what they ask of him. 1 Kings 12. It says, The whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father, Solomon put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Very simple request. This, man, we just don't want our backs bruised all the time from building things and expanding an empire. Just kind of take it easy on us, and we'll be your servants. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went about away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people? So you know who he's going to? He's going to some people up here. Some people who've got some experience under the belt. Some people who've advised and given wisdom to his godly father. People who know something, a thing or two about running a kingdom. He's seeking their advice. Very, very wise. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him. That's not what he wanted to hear. I'm the king, they're the servants. They should do whatever I ask, regardless of what I ask, no matter how much it taxes them, right? He rejected their advice. And listen, who did he consult? And he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. 
He was trying to get his advice from and his approval from people who were on the same level, even lower than him. Because they'd tell him what he wanted to hear. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the the yoke your father put on us? The young men who he had grown up with replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our our yoke lighter. Now tell them, My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. You show them who's boss. You tell them who's king. You make them submit or tell them what they're going to pay if they don't. So what happened? Rehoboam followed the advice of those here and those here told the people this, they rebelled, and they crowned another man king. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. And friends, this has greater implications than any of us would ever begin to think or imagine, because it boils down to this. Jesus. We always want to bring it back to Jesus. And here's what Jesus said in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, say it with me, friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You want to know what the father's up to? You want to know the father's business? Here it is, Jesus said in one prominent statement. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here's what Jesus does in that one verse of scripture. He lays out the future for every single human being. Every single human being is going to have a future, and it's only one of two futures. Perishing, everlasting life. And where you stand with Jesus, whether or not he's your friend, your savior, your lord, your king, that will determine and that will distinguish which future is Eternal separation from your creator, perishing eternal life in joy and bliss and delight in God's eternal kingdom. We say, how do we know we can trust Jesus when he says stuff like this? Here's why. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he died for Friends or enemies? Paul says in Philippians, some people live as enemies of the cross. See, how would anybody live as an enemy of the cross? Here's what an enemy of the cross looks like. That man or that woman says, it's going to be my good works and my good deeds and pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. That's how I'm going to get to heaven. 
thank you for dying, Jesus, but I don't need that because I'm good enough to make it there on my own. That is what an enemy of the cross looks like. And Jesus says, if that's you, you're not his friend. And perishing is what awaits. It's the person who comes to him, the one who laid down his life in every possible way a life could be laid down and surrenders to his lordship, to his friendship, and invites him to be their savior. And toward the end of the service today, you're going to see several people get in that water. And what they're doing is one thing. They're asking Jesus to be their eternal friend and no longer living as an enemy of the cross. I hope today that there are some here who have never made that decision for Jesus. Today will be your day. Because where you stand with Jesus, whether or not he's your friend and savior and king, that tells me everything I need to know about your future. And it can be either good or bad. So here in just a moment, we're going to sing a few songs. And if today you would like to make that same decision for Jesus that we're going to see others make today, join myself in the back porch behind one of these two doors, and we can prepare for you to make that same decision as well. Won't you pray with me now? Father, thank you for the amazing good news of Scripture that says we can be a friend of God. We can walk with you. We can talk with you. We can be influenced by you. We can be an influencer in your name in this broken world. Lord, help us to choose wisely those voices of influence, those people we walk with and that we stand with and that we sit with, Lord. Help us to be influenced in a good way and to be good influencers, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom of your word that comes from a loving father to his children that says this is where everything has got to start. It starts with the people who you're allowing to speak into your life, the people who you're seeking approval from, the people who are influencing you. And Father, I pray today that your spirit will move in this place and convict people of their need for you and you alone, that eternity hangs in the balances, one of perishing or one of everlasting life, and Jesus is the one variable that makes all the difference. So thank you, Lord, that we know what his love is like for us, that we know that we're his friends because he laid down his life for us. We give you this time now, Lord, to move and to have your way within us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.